0: You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before it's last call.
1: In today's episode, New York Times wine critic, Eric Asimov, reminisces about his legendary column, 25 and Under. He looks back at the gritty 90s in the city and share some insider secrets on how you pick great wines. Drinking on the Job, Episode 76, starts now.
0: (laughs) Asimov is the chief wine critic of the New York Times. I think he's probably more known for his Times tasting panel. He's also famously known for the Asimov 25 and under restaurant review, started in 1992 and put a lot of people on the map. Thank you so much for being here, Eric.
1: Thrilled to be here. Thanks, John. <laughs> Just nice to be out of the house. It's so great to be out of the house and and even better to be out of my neighborhood.
0: Right, yeah. You know, yeah. what, what neighborhood is that?
1: I live on the Upper East Side.
0: I'd like to just go back to some earlier, simpler times when you were <laughs> starting out in the, in the New York Times, um, uh, back when, like, Brian Miller, who was the longest tenure critic at the uh, New York Times. Um, so I think you were just starting your career roughly around then, was he... Uh...
1: Yeah, I came to the Times in 1984, and that was, uh, I believe it was just before Brian took over as mm-hmm. restaurant critic. He was writing Diner's Journal... Back oh, then.
0: I do. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, um, you know, I, those are the days, man, when like critics had power. I mean, like Ratatouille kind of power, like they could make or break a restaurant. Right. I mean, like I think, I think the standard rule kind of was like, if you got three stars, you put an extra phone line in. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, even, even though we like to dismiss the power of critics mm-hmm. today and it, honestly, it feels Really strange to be talking about restaurant critics at a at a time like this when restaurants are are struggling. You know, they're they're in a, a death spiral, and we right. don't know what the future is, and, and thousands of people are you know out of work, and mm. and um, and, and it's crazy. But in in normal times, I think restaurant critics still have um, certain restaurant critics right. have power.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I do. It was yeah. to me, it's kind of like. Um, it was just a a, a time of uh, where critics were. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of cool. They had to. Be, had, they wanted to be anonymous. You know, and it Brian was a Miller, lot easier
1: yeah. to be anonymous true. back yes, then. Yes,
0: yeah. but <laughs> Brian Miller's thing was always he would to be a party of six because he wanted to taste as much food as possible. He would have somebody order for him and he would slip in last minute.
1: I don't know if that's true. Yeah. No, um, I've, I've
0: seen. I, I waited on Brian Miller three times at Arizona 206. Um, and, and how crazy is this? I would actually get called in if, if Brian Miller, and everybody knew his anonymous, so people were listening, like a food critic, would, would never come in and go, hey, it's it's Brian Miller. Oh, it's Eric Asimov's on table 10. You would use an anonymous name, so everyone wasn't, you know, so it would, ideally you'd get the same service that everybody got, right?
1: Well, that was, that was the idea, and um, I, I just want to say that you know he may have used that technique at arizona 206 but i would be hesitant to ever say about any restaurant critic mm. that this is what they always did
0: okay yeah because, because they, otherwise they
1: had a lot sure. of uh, of of different methods mm. um different ideas and and there's so much mythology as well right. about how critics behave
0: right yeah i think uh wasn't ruth reichel kind of famous for wearing
1: disguises she was yeah <laughs>
0: I mean, that's what I mean. It's so great, because, but but it's such a, a a great idea. I always
1: thought that disguises right. were the last refuge of the exhibitionist. <laughs> you know, because when people wear disguises. You know, they think they're invisible, but right. they're not. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They stand out. They stand out.
0: Well, which, which is, uh, you know, Gail Green used to, uh, I forget who she used to uh, write food for. New, New, New York Magazine. New York Magazine, yeah. And I've also worked in restaurants where Gail Green would come in. It would be the exact opposite. She'd come in with a, a like, a, it looked like a, a jacket from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band right, with the epaulettes and the <laughs> sparkling. And it was like the, the only thing missing was the trumpets. Right. <laughs> and, but it was crazy. But critics had enough power. Like, I was working in a South. Western restaurant, and she would say, "I want salsa." And we would go, "Well, we're a southwestern restaurant. We don't have salsa." And she go, "No, no, I want salsa." And they would make salsa. <laughs> and also, I've been in kitchens, and there's a lot of people who probably tell you this that if a restaurant critic came in and they knew it was Brian Miller back then because of this potential what they could do for him, um, new plates, kitchen would stop, and they're—I mean, they were just scrutinizing every single plate that went out and came back into the kitchen. He didn't like the zucchini blossom? What happened? He didn't eat the whole thing? Um, Which is, uh, I don't know, it's a testament to it, so a much different time, Uh, that's not like this Yelp community that we're in now, (laughs) where, uh, you know, unfortunately, you have people critiquing food and uh, uh, wine and don't, you know, and and they get a fair amount of, you know, credence. My other thing I always loved back then uh, was the... um, they always talked you know about the food every every the meal the atmosphere the music and 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 the wine uh, all the the little shout out for the wine thing was like two sentences (laughs) well chosen list 250 bottles and there was nothing you know (laughs) zero and i think that speaks to kind of where we were i think but you know
1: um i hear the same complaint today really okay and it it I think it speaks to the the kind of um, you know so, uh, uh, self absorption of people in wine mm-hmm. i mean you don't you don't read uh, uh, a restaurant review to to see a, 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 a an essay about wine right. you want to know something about the wine list mm-hmm. you just want it to be characterized right. but at the most that's, that takes one or two sentences right. yeah. you know what else do you need but it, it, it's kind of favorite. unless unless it's a restaurant that is is focused on wine you mm-hmm. know a place like Veritas or sure. Crew yeah Um, or or Frenchette or or Frenchette uh, yeah then it uh, it becomes I mean when that's a central focus then you need a little bit more but in general you just don't need that much and um, you know I'm I, I don't think that I'm uh, being disloyal to wine people to push back. <laughs> yeah,
0: no. <laughs> no, that's uh, totally fine. But I was like, I, I swear, if you went back and looked at like 100, it was always like well-chosen wine list. I just, a tad bit more color would be nice. Um,
1: you know, you'd figure out just the, the the sentence to add, yes, I opened the Sinsky Pinot Noir and it was just right. right. <laughs> I mean, but, but really... Uh, you know, you don't need, I remember, um, you know, the, the best uh, thing I ever came up with as a restaurant reviewer, I had okay. the, the right. really um, difficult task. I was sent to Disney World and, and, and told to review the restaurants of Disney World. Wow. And, and this is kind of a, a, a really bizarre assignment,
0: was it like Blooming Onions and things like that? Or were they no, no, actually they, trying they to actually put some good had, food out?
1: they had some good restaurants okay. there. But, you know, usually if you're a restaurant critic um, and you're, you're being sent elsewhere, you have a, a bunch of friends to call on, people to go out with you to make up that, that party of six. Right. But if you go to Disney World... <laughs> You know, you know, there's nobody there. Right. They're all tourists. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I remember um, standing in front of restaurants looking for somebody to, to invite to a free meal. You know, <laughs> I and like, and I would look for, for, luckily, by that time, adults were going to Disney World right. because I didn't want to... To, to pick any family group or, you know, have little kids <laughs> oh with me. My God. but still, I mean, it was super. But still, you're was, weirding people out. I was mean, was let's really be honest. It was uncomfortable. Hey, yeah. yeah you, you know, you're a predator or, right. or something. Trying to make
0: eye contact with somebody going, hey, uh, I hear the swordfish is good. You want to join me?
1: Yeah. Uh, but, really? um, but, but one of the yeah. surprises yeah. then was was finding a restaurant. And I think it, um, you know, the, it, it was a Northwest themed place that had Actually, a really good wine list this was back in the nineties and right. I said we you know we knew Mickey had ears, but who knew he had a nose <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good line that works
0: <laughs> Actually, I'd like a, a little bit of more descriptors uh, if you can make me laugh i 'm happy You yeah, that 's uh um, so wow! So they had you going all over the place. By the way, that twenty-five and under column is going to be needed soon with this economy. But it's oh, such. Oh, it, it
1: was so out of date by the time. I, I mean, I was when still you writing it, it yeah. in, in you know two thousand, and it was yeah way out of date. But.
0: Yeah, but you but you unearthed like amazing places that people probably wouldn't walk into, which now it's just a click away. Um, and that was a uh, like I know for a fact you you. Uh, a very good friend of mine just moved to Mallorca, uh, uh, JP D'Amato John Paul. Um, he was chef at Bright Food Shop, mm-hmm. and you came in and gave them an amazing review and and well deserved because they did everything from you know, smoking their own chili peppers. And I mean, it was a great little place right in Chelsea on yeah. 8th, I think it was 8th. And, uh, and he still remembers it, and it helped <laughs> make his career because it was his first real time. Like sheffing,
1: I I loved doing that job. Right, um, it was it was great fun. It introduced me to um, parts of the city I would never know have known um, mm. to um, demographics I had no contact right. with, and it was just a you know writing about restaurants can be so interesting when you're when when you see it as sociology essentially sure. you know you, it's a story of people a story of culture yeah, exactly. and um, you know that gave me an opportunity to really to to really discover New York
0: yeah. and, and probably introducing you to things even though you're a food guy I mean, back then, like, if somebody's saying, oh, this is epizote. You're like, what is episode? A? <laughs> like, I mean, like, that kind of... I had to learn cul- a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean, the cultural thing that you just touched on. That's the really super cool part of that job, I would imagine, right? You're like...
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, learning about the the, the food is Im- important and fascinating and, and educational, but, but more than that, it was... Um, Seeing ha- patterns of of immigration in New York and watching neighborhoods <clears throat> develop and um, going to to neighborhoods that really had uh, not very much contact with with New York at large, but right. were somewhat um, insular because they were not embraced by New York at right. large. So they're you know as best they can recreating their own communities and. Um, just being able to um, visit communities like this respectfully and, and get to know people and food and culture and, and fall in love okay. with these places. That, that was just sure. so much fun. And, and to write about it.
0: Yeah, and to see the locals, right? Uh, like enjoying the, your, 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 your voyeur in their life. This
1: is their local
0: haunt that nobody knows about, certainly not the New Yorkers, you know, who are just looking for the next hottest restaurant and can spend money. I mean, these people appreciate value in their culture. They don't even see beyond that, probably, which is great.
1: And, you know, now we we take that for granted mm-hmm. that sort of of food journalism but it, it wasn't you know there were, uh, Robert Sietzma was was writing for the Village Voice back then
0: right, the voice and, was a pretty um, uh, reputable like place to like you'd always look in there for a best little joint
1: i mean right. robert robert was and is fantastic mm-hmm. and you know an amazing uh uh, uh, pursuer of of great restaurants, great food, and and wonderful people. Uh, Jonathan Gold was writing um, I in L. A. Right. Uh, the first person to win a Pulitzer, first and only person to win a Pulitzer prize as a food critic.
0: Oh, is that true? Huh. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. That's really that's super super interesting. Yeah, I I used to think of, you know, uh, I mean, who would ever thought like, Bushwick and Vinegar Hill and these places? Had, I mean, th- like, the the joke would be, oh, that's a nice place to dump a body. Well, now it's got like two of the best restaurants in <laughs> in New York <laughs> in that neighborhood, and I think if there's a silver lining to what's going on right now, and I mentioned this, I had uh, Mark Schneider on, uh, from um, Angel Share and Red Hook Winery, is that, I'm hoping that the energy that we you were talking about at the very top of the show that New York always had, um, if these commercial spaces become available at a much lower price, we'll get an influx of this youthful energy that's creative and can afford to open a place like this back in New York, which they couldn't you know, prior. We were about to pop.
1: Uh, yeah, and you know, that's the... Um, it's a very sad silver lining because mm-hmm. a lot of uh, jobs and a lot sure. of wonderful places are lost, but... Um, you know, it seems now that New York is going to have to reinvent itself from a much lower um, financial position. I mean, mm-hmm. things are really going to have to crash before they can uh, start to, to to build up again. And, yeah, I mean, we, this city developed in a really unnatural way, in, in my opinion, you know, the... Um, the income disparity in yes. Manhattan was just, um, so ruinous to the, the culture yeah. of Manhattan, you know, it's, it's, it, it, even before the pandemic, you could, you saw this borough, you know, being sure. transformed from this really, uh, vibrant center of the arts to, uh, just a just a, a, fucking mall. Yeah. G- I mean, gentrified. You know. Know. And, oh, and,
0: that's... you know, it, uh, I mean, look at like Hudson Yards. When Hudson Yards opened up, I went over there, and I'm like, "What the fuck? This is the death knell for the city." It's a huge mall with nothing but Hermes. uh, I mean, incredibly expensive shops, restaurants, everything like that. Most people can't afford.
1: I mean, you know, if you've if you've lived in New York for the last, I don't know, I want to say 40 years. I guess that's how long I've been here almost. Mm -hmm um you know you looked at at soho just the, the right. neighborhood and and you saw it transform from these you know neighborhood artist lofts mm-hmm. and and cool bars and restaurants and then and it and, and it 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 uh, went to galleries and then yep. retail shops fancy retail shops retail chain shops that's that
0: was the death um, of it i can almost think i was in shock because I, I love being in new york and the day they opened a Chi-Chi's chili place in Times Square, and uh, I was like, oh, shit, an Olive Garden. I'm like, that is like the antithesis of New York. New York would laugh at places like that, and they'd be in a mall, and now we had one. And I'm like, you know what? And it was in Times Square. I miss the old grimy Times Square.
1: I remember going to restaurants on Avenue C in, in, the, in the 80s, <clears throat> and people would say, oh, you know, you need to... Um, you need to take a car over there yeah. you know it's dang you're taking a yeah. your life in your hands and and there was one really cool French restaurant called Chez Bernard that was the first to to introduce um, organic ingredients and, oh wow and it was that's was like way over there and um you know that uh, it, it was true it was a, a tough neighborhood and I remember the first time it, um i was reviewing a restaurant on avenue a for 25 and under some some guy just walked past me i was sitting by the window and he mooned us and um i mean that's the kind of things you know there was a there was conflict a restaurant critics in the east village was was you know a sign of gentrification and and um, and
0: probably trying to not look like you're you know
1: no i mean he had no idea who i was i was just some some you know some white guy sitting in a restaurant that was maybe fancier than they were used to on that block
0: but I uh I used to work on the Upper East Side with Jonathan Waxman at one of his restaurants and I'd after work I was in my 20s and I would go down to like Avenue A to the Wawa Hut and Pyramid Club and place like that and what I loved about it was like if I mean it's not hateful here but like you would never see a fucking suit you would never see somebody over 35 in a suit in these places they were like and and not because it was i mean because they were certainly cool but there was a certain element of violence that kept they were like you don't fucking belong here and i mean it was i mean you knew it it was just like and so i used to go from the upper east side uh working at jams uh this fancy restaurant and i'd put my jeans and ripped shirt on my sneakers put my hat on and like boom i'd be hanging out at uh, the, the pyramid club and uh, that's what, i think that's when new york was like I, the grit i missed the grit um i have another thing that really bugs the shit out of me i cannot stand fake irish bars <laughs> <laughs> the fake fucking prefab irish bar oh whatever it's called right because i'm used to like you know, the blue and gold that was there. Like, yeah, McSorley's kind of a tourist trap. But, like, real, what I would affectionately call shithole Irish bars.
1: Dive bars. Dive bars,
0: yeah. Dive bars, right. Um, always good music. Cheap beer, cheap booze, great jukebox. Um, Corner Bistro. Not an Irish bar, but, like, you go to Corner Bistro at 2 in the morning for the best burgers and the jukebox, right?
1: Well, I, I would be lying if I... You know, portrayed myself as a defender of of dive bars and <laughs> and a regular patron, but um, but I went to a lot of music bars, right. which is you know what you used to have in. in so the where, East where did Village. you go? Brownies. Remember brownies? Yep. Um, then later on, the Lakeside and Lakeside. Um, there was a uh, the what was the place on uh, on Houston? Um, in avenue a it was in an old bank i can't remember the oh, name yeah,
0: yeah. um i used to go over to avenue a to delia's yeah uh and the 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 times i walked out of there like four o'clock in the morning not in the best of shape and i used to joke to myself i always have these inner monologues running and i used to be walking down the street and I mean, it was, like, burned cars and, like, just junkies everywhere. And I used to say to myself,
1: God, I don't even own a fucking gun. <laughs> well, like, what am I doing here? <laughs>
0: uh, but, well,
1: you know, the, the New York Times was um, has always been in Times Square. Right. And back in, uh, before 2007, we mm-hmm. were on West 43rd Street between 7th and 8th. Yep. Which um, you know in the '80s was was a dicey place to, and I used to work till three in the morning. Right. And I just I remember um, somebody was giving me a, a, a ride home, and there was a like a garage next door, and you know we're waiting for, for a car, and some guy comes running pass with the, with the cops after, and all of a sudden the gun comes skidding <laughs> across the floor of the garage. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of thing that's, that, that, That's a, a New York it, moment. Used to, so, in, until, until they cleaned it up.
0: Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I know. I, so I used to go up to Times Square. I had a very good friend of mine and I was in this, uh, uh writing group and he was a night owl so i'd say come pick up this script at like two in the morning and i'd go oh, fuck okay so i'd go up and uh and i remember the famous hustle was you'd see two guys and they would uh be walking towards you and this is late night and they'd walk towards you and they would bump into you and the bottle the would, bottle would break the bottle would break <laughs> and they were like yo fuck
1: you it. gotta pay for it you gotta pay for this shit <laughs> <it.
0: laughs> you just knocked this you're, that hustle, right. I was like no Uh, I can run faster. That's that back then I could, but it was like, I mean, that was a classic New York hustle. That and the uh, three card Monty, three card Monty. Remember how about this one? The brick in the VCR box.
1: That I never saw.
0: Okay, so the guy would come, hey, you know, this it, it was a brand new spanking new box, stapled everything like this. Okay. Hey, I just got this. It fell off a truck. I can give you the VCR. VCR. That's how dated that shit is. Uh, give you, it, it's like 10 bucks. You're like, what? 10 bucks. But you got to take it now. I got to go. And he'd be looking around you and people would give him 10 bucks. They'd open up, there'd be a brick in it. <laughs> <laughs> the vcr hustle yeah uh, yeah times i kind of you know I, you can't glorify it but like that was when new york was a real city i think i think it's lost its uh edge uh a lot and it's beginning to feel like i could be anywhere
1: well you know i i, I hesitate to to sound like an idiot talking about the old days and no, and, no but hey. you know we're imagine i i you know, I went to um, graduate school in, in Austin, Texas and when I got there in, in 1982, um, I remember a guy was like telling me, yeah, it's, it's a great place, but you should have been here five years ago and, <laughs> right. and um, right. I just like when, within the last 10 years, um, I've had this like standing gig going down to Austin once a year. And somebody I met somebody. Was, yeah, you should have been here five years ago. <laughs> so you know, there's always the, know. the the feeling that that things were better, you know, whatever uh-huh. time period you think. But but with New York, it's true when they when they cleaned it up, when you know the the Giuliani Giuliani edict banning dancing in bars I'm, and, oh and shit God like that. God. I mean, it it just. It,
0: who knew how crazy fucking Rudy Giuliani was going to... How batshit crazy he was going to get. I mean, you know, he was like... I Pre-September 11th, because everyone... You know, he's a hero to a bunch of people of September 11th, um, but...
1: I never uh, bought into that, neither, I'm just n- saying.
0: N- <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither, neither did I. Uh, but, like, uh, I, his zero tolerance. That was the zero tolerance time. And uh, he... Uh, there used to be a... a a strip club called Billy, Billy's Topless.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: um, it was for, I mean, so I heard uh, it was for like, it was blue collar, you drink your Pabst Blue Ribbon yep. and your Schlitz yep. and it was like a, a shag rug and uh, and w- he said, no, this isn't going to happen. And so Billy's actually just uh, took the apostrophe off. I don't know if you, so for like three months there was no Topless Girls. It was, they were in bikinis and it was Billy Stopless. <laughs> I, I appreciate the grammatical effort that they went through for that, <laughs> but you know. Uh, but now that was uh, the beginning of uh, seeing how crazy, um, obsessive this guy was. Great for cleaning up organized crime, in the sea mark, in the Fulton Fish Market. But uh, he's off, off the off the end. Right, you know eh? when when
1: you when you farm out um, working people and artists and and just. Uh, people trying to do something creative and and having to hustle just to to get to get through their lives um yeah you end up with just a bunch of people with attache cases or whatever you end up with a a boring place and i'm sad to say that manhattan has has been a boring place now for a while
0: yeah i know people say what killed new york and um it's. I'll, I'll tell you, money killed New York. Yes, right? exactly. Uh, you and I both know it. We're in the wine business. I could not go into a restaurant and not get a Every glass of wine was $20 or $17. And you and I both know what bullshit that is. You're like, you're charging me 17 I know you paid 9 bucks for this.
1: Well, you know, I think um, money has, has killed a lot of right. wine, the wine business oh my as God, well. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, I, you... It's it's like New York real estate. If you have a bunch of billionaires, um, you know, bidding up the price on some uh, on some counterfeit DRC at an auction, yeah, right. All of Burgundy goes up. You yeah, know, it's,
0: it's kind of untouchable. And how quickly something becomes collectible, or or it becomes allocated? Like, oh, you can't get the You can only get three bottles. Like, wait a minute.
1: Why? And that become because that becomes the attraction. Sure. And, you know, we saw that with the the so-called cult cabernets. You know, shit was allocated before they'd even released a a first vintage.
0: Yeah, what I I loved is I'd be in California at Bounty Hunter, these stores. And back in New York, you could not buy this bottle of wine if it was possible. And you go there and there's like 15 cases of it stacked on the floor. You're like, hey, help yourself. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a a wine break at this moment just since we're on here. And I know people are going, shit, are you going to talk about wine for a minute? also yes uh we're, we're drinking Robert Sinski's Caneros Pinot one of the first certified organic guys who never touted it as such that was just his farming practices back in the day um and uh for people listening Napa is uh you know dealing with fires and COVID and uh so they're having a really tough time so find some fun California wine you want I love uh Rob and Maria and Jeff Vernick who makes the wine uh so that's what we're drinking and uh Cheers to you. Cheers. Um,
1: yeah. we, we won't be grumpy old men for the, the <laughs> whole of this.
0: <laughs> but it's funny. I was in, like, I was uh, dining uh, in, in France. I was in uh, a place, and they, they had Clos which is this collectible wine here in the U.S. Costs crazy amounts. And I'm in this restaurant, Spring, and they have five, you know, like almost a vertical of it, and it's super affordable. And I said to the sommelier, I'm like, I'm just curious, like, why... Uh, how's it possible you have this amount of of wine and at this price? And he said to me, uh, no offense, no Frenchman in his right mind would pay what you, (laughs) you would pay for that wine back in the States. And I'm like, "Mm, it's true. It's really what it's become. Right. Um, so hopefully there'll be a flattening of this, uh, uh, kind of. Although, I think all the blue chip stuff like that is still going to sell at a ridiculous rate. That's the, that's the you know, nature of I, our business. I, I
1: don't think there's a flattening because I don't think um, billionaires are being hurt at all. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's true. And they're, that's true. They're 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 safe.
0: No, but what's happening is now aren't we?
1: Sorry,
0: aren't we right now um, experienced, I think during any kind of. Uh, Economic downshift, people now said, well, I can't afford Burgundy, so maybe I will start looking to another varietal, so another grape, or another area, and doesn't it kind of help those regions? I mean, you know, you know, I, you know, I, you know I, I mean, you taste my, more wine than my, I do.
1: My argument, the, uh, the people who could afford Burgundy can still afford Burgundy. Yeah, that's true. It's the people who who would splurge on a bottle of Burgundy because they loved it or wanted to find out about mm-hmm. it. Who can't do that anymore? Right. And, so where do they go? Um, what do you
0: drink if you're not well, drinking Burgundy, white Burgundy, you know, or red Burgundy? Yeah.
1: That's the 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 great blessing about the the time we live in that there are so many great wines in mm-hmm. the world, so many um, as yet undiscovered or, on, or unsanctified by the the, the status makers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That you can you can drink wonderfully whether you know you're buying from um, uh, small producers in, in Italy and Greece right and, yeah, in Greece. different so, parts of France that, that people is, don't know about
0: is there um, anything right now that you haven't written about yet so I'm getting the scoop here no. that you just
1: love or <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I drink it I write about it <laughs> right. uh,
0: but is there any like recent like you have it on you uh, like at home. Uh, you know, I went through a Mencia stage, which is the grape, and yes, me um, too. where I'm just like, it's close enough to Burgundy, but it tastes like Gamay, like Beaujolais, and I couldn't get enough of it. And those wines are super affordable.
1: Yes, uh, uh, especially the uh, the Mencia from Ribera Sacra, Sacra, yes, which I, I love. Yeah. And Spain is a, is a perfect example. There are so many um, great wines from little known um, appellations there. Mm. You know, there are the occasional um call you know uh Lopez de Heredia was discovered in those wines sure. which used to be super reasonable, have just um yeah. shot up. And it's you know, they deserve they as do. long as they're the ones making the money and not the the, mm. the Some... not to insult middle guys, but no you, know. uh, <laughs> <laughs> you calling me out here? <laughs> <laughs> but um no, and and, yeah. and um you know, Commando G is now right. kind of the the hip wine, but yeah. but what they've they've um, demonstrated is how uh, is how you can make uh, just beautiful wines from these uh, old garnacha vineyards yeah, that were ignored for, yeah. for, for so long. Right. You have people in... Um, Thanks again uh, for listening. Vicious, Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com dot Until about, then, yeah. you know, I'll Catamonia see you at the bar. is, is full of great wines. Yeah.
0: Um, you talk about like somebody who loves Burgundy and they want to find something but they can't afford Burgundy. Raul Perez Godeo Raul Perez. Those are like Burgundy imposters. Yeah. You sit and you taste that you're like, that tastes like fucking Burgundy and it's half the price. Um,
1: Bobal. Bobal, Bobal is a yeah. grape that you know. It just went into bulk wines for, Forever, for so long, yeah. but um, there are some beautiful examples of right. of those. You know, you know too, because Portugal,
0: you, yeah, Portugal. Oh my God, yeah. Um, you and I have seen a lot of of this. We we look at, at, at we're looking through the same lens because we've been doing this for a long time um, from my side too, and you see, um, you see people, whether they're in Italy or Portugal or Spain, like Bobal and Manchuela and, and, and like they set the, the laws like, well, it has to be this alcohol. It has to be this aged. And a lot of winemakers, particularly the younger winemakers, going like, I want to play your reindeer games. Fuck you. I'm going to make it. Oh. And we'll, And they're like, well, then you don't have the D.O. You can't say you're from X. And they're like, you know what? I'm out. I don't need to Chianti on my label because I don't want to make Chianti the way you're telling me I should. It has to be this and that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really... Uh, great and explosive and a lot of those ones are super affordable um, because they, it's like the premium real estate. I don't live on Park Avenue so I'm not paying Park Avenue rent.
1: You know, it says a lot about uh, high-bound bureaucrats mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sad to say. The the Appalachian system I think is just um, you know, it's a very uh, um, utopian in <clears> a way. <throat> you know, it's, it's, it's uh uh, it was put together with the best of intentions sure. to defend uh, the appellation against fraud, to make sure wines are, are of uh, up to quality and mm-hmm. so on. And when it becomes a kind of a, a defense of mediocrity, then it becomes a problem.
0: Right. Yeah. Because you here's the recipe. You need to fill this recipe and then right. you can get... You can put we can put the Park Avenue address on the label, and then you'll make more money. It's kind of reverse, right? Why don't you worry about the quality of the wine first, and then for whatever
1: you know. A, a lot of people in wine talk about typicity, you yes. know, the, the notion that that something should um, should really exemplify the the place or the grape um, where mm-hmm. it comes from or what it's made sure. of, and. You know the the no the idea of typicity is so malleable. I mean, it can it can become the you know uh, the mass market sense of what of a Pinot Grigio mm. or or some you know something really denatured, right. um, and and that just works against any kind of of creativity or um, you know. Uh, quest for for quality or or trying to push the boundaries Uh, at the same time it also you know it protects against a lot of bad wine so you have to find a balance somewhere
0: yeah and I think that's where these kind of what I was talking to these people step outside and go you know I'm just going to do what I feel I'm going to do best and if I don't if you can't put this like circle in the square peg so be it I'm just going to make really great wine and I see a lot
1: of cool stuff happening so I think um, yeah. you know you you can look at that. You can point back to uh, the super Tuscans mm-hmm. and, and exactly. people That's who just didn't want to work under under that.
0: That's a great example. Uh, yeah.
1: Bureaucracy, but now I think it's much more, um, you know, influenced and and spurred on by the natural wine mm-hmm. people who are you know just not knuckling under to authority are very subversive and and. Right. Um, not wanting to be told what to plant and how how to uh, tend it and how to make the wine, and, and um, it's a good thing.
0: So give me the pressure of your job being the wine critic for uh, the New York Times, certainly one of the most iconic newspapers in the country, right, despite whatever fucking bullshit this guy who lives in that house on Pennsylvania Avenue says about fake news. What's it like for you to uh, in a scenario where you're not obviously thinking about this, but it's a make-or-break scenario for a lot of people. How many wines are you tasting a week? Um, have you ever gotten a death threat?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got a death threat when I was a restaurant critic. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, some, some guy, I, I wrote about some pizza place in Queens, and, and some guy <laughs> wrote me, um, scrawled a death threat, on the back of an oil-stained <laughs> pizza box and put a stamp on it and sent it to me like a postcard, and it got to me at the Times. Holy um, fuck. And that was, that was crazy. And then there was another guy who sent me, who would, <laughs> like, you know, for a solid year, was sending me 30-page letters every week. You what know, the like, fuck? I mean, just a, like a real crazy guy. But um, just to get back to your question... Yeah. I have. There's no pressure writing about right. wine mm-hmm. today. I mean, you know, I look around me and I see people out of work. I, I see people sure. desperate for what they're. Um, what are they going to do next? How do they support their families? They can't afford their 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 rents. They um, they're just at, at their their wits end, and I. I have this. I have a job doing something that I love to do. That I love to yeah. do. That you know, maybe in the greater sense of things, is trivial. But but I know it's not. Um, so I don't. You know, I don't subscribe to the idea that uh, I can. I ever want to persuade somebody that that I have a difficult job. Right. No, I, my job is easy. Yeah. Um, How many
0: wines you tasting a week?
1: I, you know, I don't work that that no. way. I don't. I don't do. Uh, I don't sit. Wake up in the morning and say I'm going to taste a hundred right. wines. I. I. You just I did think, an article
0: about September wines, right? So how? Yeah. How, how, so walk backwards from that. I'm going to write this article in sep- yeah. about wines in September. I start tasting when, and then when does the article come out? Like,
1: um, you know, it's pretty quick. That that article. Um, Let's see. I I would file that on a Friday, and it would be posted by the following Thursday, which, um, you know, for newspapers, um, that's a lot more—that's a lot longer lag time than than Mm. I used—than I— than i'm I'm used to right um, yeah. back in the in the old days you know you'd file something the day before to get in, and go into the newspaper but how many days but, before um, to
0: get to that research and t- tasting the wines? you and- know
1: maybe a couple of weeks okay not not that long because especially with something like that where I want to be seasonal and sure. um, you know what I wrote uh, I, I wrote about a dozen wines so I probably tasted two dozen wines mm-hmm. or so.
0: And, and randomly picked? Do you just go into a wine store? No, they're not. Or, just, or they you know, somebody
1: pick these for you? Or how's no, that work? no. I, I, Those are sort of educated picks, okay. I'd like yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, they're not random picks. And I'm not, I'm not like going through 100 samples that somebody sent me. Right. Um, because we don't, we don't work like that. We don't write about wines that people send us. Now, that would be a tough job. Um, well that you know, no, I think that's more job, typical like, yeah, of yeah. a of a of a wine publication. It absolutely is. Right. But I don't believe in the you know, the cap in the score and tasting note yeah. model of of wine writing. Totally agree. And so I try not to do that. I believe in in drinking rather than tasting. Now there are there are certain occasions where you are tasting and spitting and um, you know, devoting two minutes to, to a bottle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not really happy doing that, even though I, I recognize that um, you just have to sometimes. It's the process. But uh, when it's possible, I prefer to, to open bottles and, and, and actually drink them with food if I can and and think about them so we should have dinner differently <laughs> yeah why not we should be eating together uh, I look forward i'll bring the bottles okay yeah i do too oh um, my god but um <laughs> yeah so that's uh, that's how i work and sometimes uh if i'm doing i have uh you know i've i've been doing a series of articles for years 20 under 20 dollars
0: oh yeah I the 20 find, under 20 sure yeah
1: and i've got another one coming up soon that's and great. i'll start ordering bottles and, right. and you know, I'll I'll go over like every you know website of of six to ten wine shops in in New York and try not to be um, repeat something I wrote about last year or, mm-hmm. or three months ago or even two years ago, and um, you know try try to uh, uh, choose bottles that I'm curious about or that I think would be interesting and and um, you know there's always a, a little bit of a uh The tension comes in trying to find bottles that 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 people in my readership will be able to find to find them sure and you know we're talking now about um people all over the u s and and because we 're read online it's all over the world right and you know just focusing on the u s given the fraction uh, the you know the fragmentary wine distribution and, and sure. you know, the way things work. It's, it's virtually impossible to find wines that are widely available unless they're mass production wines, and I don't want to write yeah. about them.
0: They don't need the press.
1: They don't need the press, and they're not that interesting. Right. And, you know, it's... it's my job is, uh, as I see it, mm-hmm. is really to it's not just to to find bottles that anybody can find can buy in the supermarket when they want to it's to find bottles that 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 people um should have reason to know about whether they can buy them tonight or whether you know you'll you'll spot them next vintage or in a restaurant somewhere that's cool or yeah. or you know it, it's Thing, I'm trying to um, approach wine as a as a a critic who is uh, assessing, you know, a a piece of of culture.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I I tell you what I I think uh, you do great, and uh, with the reviews and when you write about wine, you make people fall in love with the region. And where you're like, I don't really know the wines of R from Germany. I don't. So I so I gotta. Find some of these wines, and that to me is what uh, I love. Is like l- just lead me to the water, <laughs> and 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 make me oh, That's I gotta try some wines from that part of uh, Tuscany. I've never you had know, anything. There, from there.
1: There's so much pleasure to be had yeah. in wine that I I do feel that the greatest um, role of a critic is to inspire people to explore. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're gonna just wait for somebody to give a ninety-five, oh, yeah, that's it's what I hate just, about it. Yeah. It's, you know, you're, the, there's no fun there. But, but the sense of discovery um, and, and, and going off the beaten track and, and thinking you want one thing but ending up with something else and being happy about it, those are, the, those are just some of the greatest pleasures in, in wine. I agree.
0: Um, so we're at the part of the show where a spaceship just landed on the southern tip of Manhattan and uh, they're coming to get you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because they want to know what it's like to drink great wine on their planet. They're going to say, bring some wine with us. But if you're leaving the planet, what wine are you drinking? What food are you eating? What piece of music are you listening to as you walk up the uh the ramp to the spaceship
1: <laughs> we have to do it in the in a meal where we're coursing things out and i'm going to you know start with with champagne <laughs> yeah. okay. and and you know maybe follow that up with um let's do let's do chablis first okay and then you know let's do a a, a grand cru white burgundy mm-hmm. uh, another a different grand cru white burgundy sure. and and um, we'll go to to red burgundy and barolo. Okay, And nice. Um, you get um, one dish. What are you going to eat? Just just one, one dish. dish. You get one dish. That's it. And I'm going to settle on the roast chicken.
0: And what piece of music are you listening to? Well,
1: you know, I'm a I've been a Dylan fanatic for 50 years, maybe. Wow. Oh, okay. God. So what um, what Dylan song? You know, I guess it would have to be Blood on the Tracks. I know. But But, um you know but then I I mean there's so oh god I mean <laughs> but then I mean I I need John Coltrane I need uh, Beethoven Sonatas okay <laughs> uh, I need Charles Mingus <laughs>
0: I want to thank uh, Eric Asimov for being on, on Drinking on the Job and DOTJ podcast uh, we love what you do I sent you an email uh, a couple of weeks ago saying what a fantastic uh, the September wines were for the times it is still I think, the read for uh, wine and food. And and thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate thank it. Thank
1: you, John. Pleasure to be here. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to
0: check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. i a guess, <laughs> but I use a little too much force. We drove that car as far as we could. Abandoned it out west. Split up on the docks at night, but the green it was bad. She turned around to look at me As I was walking away I heard her say over my shoulder